I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. David Puglesi joining me from Victoria, BC, reporter with the Ottawa Citizen. Hello. Hello. David, today on the show, G.I. Justin, meet Canada's militarized prime minister, and Dr. Jordan Peterson has once again lost his patience with me, personally, this time. Welcome to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to everybody by Adam Thompson, Kirsten Dankoisny, Austin Lear, M. Hohian, Christine McTavish, Heather Robertson, Michael Motsis, and John. I'm John, a teacher living in Winnipeg. I support Canada Land because of Jesse Brown. His criticism of Canadian media is only matched by his ability to take criticism himself. I love Shortcuts, The Monday Show, and the growing list of Canada Land miniseries. And a shout out to Sarah Larniak, who work on The Monday Show in 2022 was fantastic. David, you've been covering the Canadian military for 40 years. I have been reading news stories about the Canadian military for at least 40 minutes. <laughs> and and what, what I'm reading this week, a slew of seemingly unrelated stories about Canada ramping up 
all things military. I am not sure what to make of these stories. I'm not sure if they have anything to do with each other. You know, usually when we talk about Justin Trudeau and weapons, it's about how he's trying to take them away from people, not about him buying billions of dollars of them and selling them. And can we go through some of these headlines and, and maybe you could help me sort through and make sense of this? Sure. So Canada is, despite all that you'll see in different media outlets about how the Canadian forces budget is pitiful, it's, Canadian forces is falling apart, that type of thing. Canadian forces or Canadian defense spending is number six in NATO. So we're spending about $21 billion a year on defense, $22 billion. And as you've mentioned, there's been a, a number of recent uh, purchases. Uh, the F-35, for instance, fighter jet is the most recent and uh, that's at 19 billion dollars it's going to cost 70 billion over its lifetime in december there was an announcement i think it was on december 23rd we're spending you know 1.2 billion dollars on uh, upgrading the cormorant helicopter we're purchasing a new surface combatant that's going to eventually cost 300 billion then the Trudeau government just announced we're spending 400 million sending uh, air defense systems to Ukraine. So there's a lot of action, a lot of money in play for military-related items. I mean, the numbers are just staggering. I mean, there's like a, a news literacy issue where if you told me that we were going to be spending $7 billion on F-35s, I'd say, well, that's a lot. But no, it's, it's $70 billion over the course of the lifespan of these jets. Let's start with that one, okay? Because I understand that back in 2015, when Justin Trudeau was running to be prime minister, he said this. We will not buy the F-35 fighter jet. And then fast forward to the current news cycle, and here's what his defense minister says now. I am announcing that Canada is acquiring a new fleet of 88 state-of-the-art F-35 fighter jets. I don't understand. I mean, what Trudeau told us when he was campaigning was that this was a mistake of the Harper Conservatives, that uh, we didn't need these planes, that the technology wasn't what we needed, the price wasn't right, the process wasn't right, and he was never going to buy them. And now he's buying more of them than Harper ever intended to. Can you help me understand that? Well, it, it's called politics. Um, you know, Harper started the, uh, well, the Liberals actually started the F-35 process in the 1990s, and it was more of a technology program. Harper comes along, he commits to the F-35, and then what the Conservatives found, the price was going up, very expensive, a lot of technological problems. In the 2015 election, Trudeau sees an opportunity, calls Harper out on this stealth fighter that Harper wants to buy, portrays him as, uh, you know, a warmonger and, and that type of thing. It no longer makes sense, if it ever did, to have a stealth first strike capacity, fifth generation fighter. And then says, you know, a liberal government will never buy the F-35 and Canada has no need for this aircraft and no need for its first strike stealth capabilities, meaning that it, its main job is to uh, bomb other, uh, other countries or to be used to bomb other countries. Then you get the flip-flop, they open up a competition, and guess what? The F-35 is in the competition, and fast forward to what we've got now, where the defense minister is, is saying that we're going to buy the F-35, and not only the 65 that Harper wanted, but 88 F-35s. This is a stupid question, uh, but I'm going to ask it. 
what exactly do Canada's fighter jets do? Uh, like, I, I think the obvious answer would be that fighter jets fight, but is that what ours do? Well, the main role in Canada's defense policy for a, a fighter jet is to protect North America. So when these uh, Russian uh, propeller-driven aircraft uh, come up to the edge of, of North America, our fighter jets go up, uh, they intercept them, you know, they identify uh, what the aircraft is and, and show the flag. That's the supposed to be the main role. Uh, that's the stated main role. Now, our fighter jets have been used more so in military action against other countries, whether it's Libya, in Iraq against uh, ISIS, that type of thing. Okay. Now you tweeted that the public service, you said it's almost like they were embarrassed to have their names put to some of the statements about this purchase. Can you Tell me why that might be. What happened uh, with the announcement, you've got a technical briefing. And so this technical briefing is before the minister makes their announcement. And usually what used to happen is you'd have uh, specialists from the various departments outlining kind of the nuts and bolts of the purchase, how this F-35 acquisition would happen, the dates, that type of thing. Well, during this technical briefing, you had these individuals, uh, there's all senior public servants and generals, you know, you're not supposed to identify them, you, know, you have to agree not to identify them, which is, in my view, absolutely ridiculous. And the comments coming from them were all political. Like, we, we really didn't learn that much from the technical briefing, like technical aspects. So, so you had these people saying, this is good for Canada, this is good for Canadian economy. Well, okay, but that's not a technical issue. That's a political statement coming from a public servant or a general who I'm not allowed to identify. And the politics of this, I guess, being that we're, we're what are the politics of this? Like, we're not pulling our weight in protecting North America, so we're under pressure from the states to ramp up? Is that what's going on? Yeah, I mean, the, the Royal Canadian Air Force has always wanted to buy this aircraft. I don't think there is any way that we weren't going to buy this aircraft. It's uh, the mainstay of the U.S. military. It's a lot of U.S. jobs are riding on this in the Texas uh, production facility and, and all across the United States. So there was a lot of pressure to buy this U.S. built plane. And what you've got is a government that had flip-flopped before now trying to finesse this purchase and, and make excuses for it. So if, if the question is, why are we doing this? Are we doing this for military protection or are we doing this as a trade thing? The answer might be both. Correct. Yeah. All right. There's another story that uh, actually I have been following this and I, and I spoke a couple times with Stephen Chase of the Globe and Mail about this. And again, it's a look back to when Trudeau first came into office and he was asked, like, why are you okay with Canada selling arms to Saudi Arabia when this is an authoritarian regime that's waging war in Yemen, has been accused of violating human rights, just murdering civilians, and they're doing it with Canadian tanks? And Trudeau's response at the time was, this isn't really my doing. He said he's only fulfilling the order because Harper committed to it. And Canada's word has to mean something. This was really Harper's fault. It is important uh, that people know that when they sign a deal with Canada, when they sign a commercial agreement, a change in government isn't going to lead to that contract being ripped up. What we have committed to 
uh, is a level of openness and transparency moving forward uh, that will make sure that Canadians will be reassured uh, on any new contract signed that we are doing a better job than perhaps the previous government did on uh, respecting our principles, our values, and indeed our laws. Okay, so that was a story back then. It wasn't his call. And now, just this week, I read a story from this new news organization, the Investigative Journalism Foundation, which uh, it's great to see them launching. And they have this uh, really interesting report about how since that excuse, the Trudeau government has now sold a record number of weapons to authoritarian countries, primarily Saudi Arabia. He has multiplied the sales by a factor of 800%. What do we make of that? Well, good on on them for collecting that data. I'm not surprised. As far as what Trudeau is saying about Harper, yes, Harper set that deal in motion, but Trudeau was the one who approved that deal. He could have backed away. We are supplying Saudi Arabia with a lot of weapons, sniper rifles, light armored vehicles. It's so ridiculous. In 2019, uh, I did a story in Yemen. Uh, there's pictures of Canadian-made light armored vehicles on fire. There was a big ambush, uh, Saudi. These are Saudi equipment. And the Canadian government, well, we can't uh, confirm that these are Canadian vehicles. Uh, and these were photos taken by the, by the rebels after they ambushed this column. So unless you go there and pry the Made in Canada sticker off, off this burning vehicle, the government continues to say, oh, we have one of the most strictest arms control regimes in the world. So there's tension between what Trudeau said then and what he said now, but there's also some tension between like, we're going to get into this. If the idea here with this ramping up militaristically is about curbing authoritarian regimes that, uh, you know, wage war against their neighbors, and, and this is all about a united front against Russia, a little bit of cognitive dissonance as to why we turn a blind eye. Well, we don't turn a blind eye. We're actually actively assisting when Saudi Arabia does the exact same thing. I mean, it's all about money. The Saudi deal for light armored vehicles, uh, depending on what figure you want to use, is is either $12 billion or $15 billion. Those vehicles are being made in London, Ontario. There's Canadian jobs connected to it. So this is all politics and money. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of fancy speeches about protecting human rights uh, around the world. But uh, when it comes to hard cash, uh, uh, that uh, kind of dominates. And Amnesty International has accused Canada of violating international laws uh, by selling these arms. Here's another one. A Canadian guy from Quebec City has been charged with masterminding the plot to assassinate the former leader of Haiti. Uh, Moise was killed in the summer of 2021. Haiti has since been, we are told, in chaos. Right now, Justin Trudeau is in Mexico City meeting with U.S. President Joe Biden. And the United States president and his people have been talking about the need to stabilize Haiti, put a security force on the ground, boots on the ground, to restore democracy and stabilize Haiti. And they have suggested that maybe Canada should lead that effort. David, are we getting ready to invade Haiti? 
Well, there's a lot of pressure coming from the Americans. They want Canada to to be a lead uh, force on Haiti while they deal with all the other things that they're dealing with, you know, whether it's Ukraine or China, that type of thing. So there is a lot of pressure on Canada to, to do something. You know, there's talk about Canada helping the Haitian uh, National Police, uh, that type of thing. Now, as far as an invasion goes, that seems to be off the table. I mean, uh, they're getting a lot of pushback, even from uh, Haitians who are concerned about the, the chaos there. They don't want foreign troops there. Whether the alternative is uh, foreign police training, we've sent armored vehicles there, like a lighter armored vehicle was uh, shipped uh, by RCAF aircraft, that type of thing. So I don't know if there's going to be an invasion, you know, as, as you might call it that. But the United States certainly wants us to get more involved. And why would they be turning to us for that? Why Canada? Well, Canada's had a long history of being in Haiti. Some people would say interfering in Haitian uh, uh, politics and such. I mean, in 1996, uh, you know, I was in Haiti uh, doing a story on the Canadian forces. Uh, and, and at that time, they were training Haitian police. They were, you know, doing patrols on the streets. Joint Task Force 2, our special force forces team was at the uh, presidential palace acting as bodyguards for the Haitian president. And of course, we have a very large population with, with roots in Haiti. So that's what the Americans are, are suggesting that we get involved or more involved. And then finally, the one that you brought up earlier that, you know, we bought Ukraine a, uh, a belated Christmas present, this uh, surface to air missile system. Uh, am I wrong to like see a trend in this? Like, uh, is Canada like getting more hawkish? What, what's going on? Well, I think for the Trudeau government, uh, for any government, um, supporting Ukraine's important because there are a lot of Ukrainian Canadians. Let's let's you know put it out there that this is a lot of uh, votes, uh, potential votes. In addition, there's there's support among the Canadian public for helping Ukraine. Although it's interesting, you're starting to see pushback. You know, we're spending four hundred and six million dollars for an air defense system. Yet there's some people online pointing out that our healthcare system is on the ver is collapsing. People are dying in uh, emergency wards, that type of thing. So there are now questions about whether these types of funds should be spent at home. I mean, the figures are just staggering. I, I, I hear you saying that there are now questions and pressure, but do you like? It doesn't seem like there's a lot. Like, do you think that it would be a different situation, and that perhaps the, there would be more awareness of this? I can't say that there's no reporting. There's plenty of reporting, but do, do you think that there would be more concern and awareness if this were a conservative Canadian government getting in line with a Republican American government? It seems like something about Justin Trudeau's brand and the Biden brand. I don't know, like perhaps are, are downplaying these stories or making these stories hard to like process. It, it doesn't match what we're, how we're supposed to. It's hard to think of Justin Trudeau as a warmonger. Yeah, I mean, the the thing is, it's I think what you're saying has some validity, but also, I mean, covering these big defense programs over the years, like if I wrote about a politician having a $15 glass of orange juice, people get up in arms because they can relate to that. But when I write about this warship program that has gone from $25 billion to now $80 billion, People just shrug. The figures are so massive that the average person can't 
relate to it, yet they're going to have to relate to it because it's coming from their tax dollars. Yeah, it, it feels like some sort of strange catch-22 in Canadian politics and Canadian discourse. Like, how do we apply scrutiny? Like, it's it can often be a good look for a liberal leader to seem strong on defense. And, you know, it's hard to criticize from the right because then what would happen? What, like, are the conservatives then suggesting that we should be spending less on on military? Like, I don't know enough about this to mount the argument against Canada doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on military spending. I don't really have strong feelings. I don't know enough about it. But I I assume that argument does exist. I don't really know that anyone is out there making it. Well, for sure. So the conservatives can't really criticize Trudeau for his defense spending. What they can criticize is why these programs are, are going incredibly over budget. The NDP seems to be, they're not part of the equation anymore when it comes to this. Like, for instance, I did a story about, uh, you know, the Irving uh, shipbuilding delivered uh, new uh, Arctic offshore patrol ships. Well, there's problems with them. There's lead in the drinking water. They're concerned about lead in the drinking water of the ship. So the crew has been given bottled water. We're reporting these types of things. I mean, I'll identify, I'll self-identify as a below average newsreader, but like, you know, if, if I were reading these news stories, like there's a literacy issue. If I were reading these news stories and I read that there were eight fighter jets that we just committed to as opposed to 88, I don't know that it would make a significant difference in my mind. Like I don't have right. I don't have a baseline or context for how to understand this stuff. I think maybe this is where the media uh, fails, some media fails, is you don't put it in perspective. In my stories, I have voices from the people who aren't happy with these purchases and they have gone and said, okay, for that $19 billion, that you are spending on F-35s, you could train, you know, 4,000 nurses. You could build five hospitals, that type of thing. And and maybe it's up to journalists to start putting some of this type of material in their stories so the average person can clue into what the actual cost to society that these mega projects come with. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge 
research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. David, on this program, we live in constant fear that important news stories are going overlooked. And so we duly note them to people. I got a couple. So let me start with this one. I don't know how important this will be to people outside of Toronto, but I feel like the alternative news media mattered. The alternative news weeklies mattered. And it was a sad thing to see that entire industry go down. But Now Magazine is coming back. Breaking news. Gona's Media, the parent company of the BG Show, is expanding. Gona's Media announced today that it has acquired Now Magazine. Now will relaunch on January 17th with a fresh newsroom. So I want to duly note this. This is a branded Gona's interesting media company. This guy is a YouTube news personality, and he's got this like growing company of people doing news coverage a different way, and they've acquired now. I'm inclined to always love a story like that, an upstart buying what, you know, I grew up and now magazine was like an established brand and really important for the art scene in Toronto and, and uh, culture and all kinds of stuff. So like, yeah, let it live on. That's great. And there's like you know, hundreds of people who did great work for Now, and it's been in this weird purgatory. They bought the IP, they bought the Now name, they bought the archives, but they didn't buy the company. And there's a controversy around this. Graham Isidore tweeted that uh, he's learned that the former employees of Now, who like, they really got screwed by Media Central, the former owners, they were owed back pay. And Gonez Media is like not going to be covering that because it's not their responsibility. They bought the IP. They didn't buy the company. And, you know, it's unlikely that the former employees are going to see the money that they're owed. And that sucks. And there's an interesting question rolling around. Uh, I think that a lot of journalists are unanimous, like, no, if you buy now, you've got to make the former employees whole. And the same thing happened with the Georgia Strait when OMG Media bought the Georgia Strait. People were left out in the cold of that. I'm also a publisher, so I can't help but like, well, if that was the deal, if you wanted to resuscitate a dead media brand, you had to go pay all their old debts, then nobody would buy these old brands, and then the archives would never live on. So I, I don't know. I see it from both perspectives. But it is an interesting news story. I can only wish them well and hope that they do right by now, hope that they're a resource to journalists and to readers and to the art scene. I just wanted to point it out. Duly noted. David, do you have something to duly note? So I picked up a book recently. It came out in 2021, and it's called Cult of Glory, The Bold and Brutal History of the Texas Rangers. So essentially what it is, is the Texas Rangers, which is the police force in Texas from the 1800s onward, have created this myth for itself of this honorable fighting force uh, bringing criminals to justice. Well, you read Cult of Glory, and it's by a guy named Doug Swanson, and then you realize the Texas Rangers essentially was a force to kill Mexicans, massacre indigenous people hunt runaway slaves. And essentially, it has uh, the history of the Texas Rangers that you're not going to find anywhere else. 
brutal, brutal uh, descriptions of, of some of the crimes that this uh, force has done. And it takes it right up to uh, corruption in the current times. It was a real eye-opener for me. Duly noted. Sounds like it's worth checking out. I have one more. I want to duly note a fascinating legal battle that people should know more about. Somebody took the Attorney General of Canada to court. I, I, I don't know who. Nobody knows who. This case is listed in public court documents as named persons versus the Attorney General of Canada. But the named persons are not named. You know, so that's odd. But, you know, let's put that aside for a second and let's talk about this court case itself, about what happened during the trial. I can't do that either. It was a secret trial. It, it all happened in camera, which uh, in camera actually means off camera. It means that it was held in secret. I don't know what to make of this. I'm not even sure what to duly note. I read this via the National Post's Keith Fraser, and here's what was reported. The secret trial came to light in June when a post-media reporter went to a Vancouver courtroom where a case identified as named persons versus Attorney General of Canada was on the docket. According to the docket, a six-week trial was about to begin, but one of the lawyers in the courtroom said that there was a publication ban on the case, noted that the court file had been sealed and did not provide any details of the ban. Before the arrival of the judge, BC Supreme Court Chief Justice Christopher Hinkson, a court clerk handed a notice to the sheriff who advised the reporter that the case was going in camera, meaning behind closed doors. It's just a black box, okay? Post media, to its credit, filed for this to be opened up. Give us some information about the secret trial. And they just lost an appeal. And the judge said, this is a really unique case where to tell you why it's a secret well, then it wouldn't be a secret. Like the re- the reasons for the secrecy are so compelling that we can't even tell you what they are because that would reveal too much about this case. So yes, we have secret courts in Canada. At least in this case, it's just an entirely uh, mysterious, secret, unknown process that has played out. And uh, I don't know. I think this is going higher up and maybe we'll find out maybe uh, at, at the superior court level. Maybe. Duly noted. David, speaking about post-media, post-media has this newspaper. It's called the National Post. And to read the National Post these past few days would be to believe that the most important thing happening in Canada is what's happening, what's being done to Dr. Jordan Peterson. Have you caught this story? I haven't been following it totally. I mean, I've seen a lot of uh, Twitter action, social media action, but uh, I've seen bits and pieces of it. You should read the National Post because it's full of this stuff. I'll go through a few of these headlines. Jordan Peterson, I will risk my license to escape social media re-education. Jordan Peterson is being punished for daring to contradict leftist orthodoxy. Conrad Black, defamatory charges against Jordan Peterson should be thrown out like a dead mouse. Rex Murphy, Jordan Peterson's foes need their heads examined. You get it? He's a psychologist, so they, they, they should have their heads examined. <laughs> it, it goes on and on and on. Michael Higgins, Jordan Peterson resists his critics' clumsy, forced re-education. Brian Lilly, again and again. Joe Warming, it just goes on and on. And it's not just, it's not just your employer. It's not just post-media. The Wall Street Journal has run an opinion piece, the campaign to re-educate Jordan Peterson. This has broken out of, like, culture war Twitter battle dialogue. It is something, well, Elon Musk, Joe Rogan, I guess that's still within the bubble. But Pierre Polyev 
has picked up the cause of Jordan Peterson and released a video coming to Peterson's defense. Here in Canada, though, unfortunately, through the cancel culture and the woke movement we've seen at university campuses and um, in the media and now increasingly in big, powerful corporations and most recently with a professional licensing body, we're seeing the idea that someone can lose their job, their status, their ability to study because they express something that is contrary to the government line. What the heck is this all about? What are they trying to do to Dr. Jordan Peterson? It's about his tweets. This is all about his tweets. There are specific tweets that people have complained about to the Ontario College of Psychologists. Psychologists are a regulated profession, and there are people who have the job of making sure that psychologists act within the standards of the profession. And when they don't, you can complain. And so people have complained. They complained about a tweet that Jordan Peterson sent to the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition uh, in response to Sports Illustrated featuring a plus-size model for the first time on their swimsuit uh, issue, Peterson said, not beautiful. And no amount of authoritarian tolerance is going to change that. Fat women are not beautiful, Dr. Peterson would like the world to know. I don't know. In a world where mental health issues include eating disorders and body dysmorphia, maybe it's not great to have a psychologist out there in public saying no fat chicks. Uh, Maybe that's not something that any organization regulating psychologists would be okay with. He's also getting in like Twitter wars with people like Gerald Butts calling him a prick and anti-trans stuff against Elliot Page. And really, I would say uh, false health information uh, during the pandemic, uh, enough with the masks coming from a, a healthcare professional. Those are all things that it seems only reasonable to me that if your job was to regulate the field of psychology, you you might want to have a word with a psychologist who's saying that kind of stuff. But it's not a minor banal issue to Dr. Peterson or to his fans and followers or to the press. And and that's the interesting part to me is that the press seems to think that this has wide-reaching implications. This is a, a, a battle about censorship and free speech. Are you following so far? Does this make any sense? Well... I'm following what, yeah, what you're saying. I mean, if you take a look at during the pandemic, there is a, a number of doctors and nurses who were accused of uh, spreading disinformation about uh, COVID. And there were complaints made against them and their regulatory bodies investigated them. So regulatory bodies investigate complaints. That's just a, a normal process. We report about teachers, for instance, being investigated for things that they've done or police or, or whatever. It feels entirely banal to me that this is playing out. And it's it's not like the colleges said, you know, for your tweets, we are stripping you of your license. What they said to him was, yeah, these tweets are not great. And so, you know, you've got to have some kind of a recourse. And so the recourse is we want you to take a social media training course at your expense, and then you could retain your, your license. It sounds like entirely reasonable and a little bit boring to me. It's become a major thing. Like this is like being presented to us as like this actually is a threat to all of our freedoms. I see this very differently because we've been covering Peterson for years now. And I think what we've been covering is like 
the tension between his, I guess, former life as a psychologist and his role now as like an angry guy, uh, internet celebrity, and it's happened again and again, and some of it even by his own admission, like why does he need to be a psychologist given what he does these days? Like I guess a psychologist sees patients is something a psychologist might do. He decided to stop seeing patients because he said it would not be morally defensible to still see patients when he's so distracted by his celebrity and his Twitter wars and his crusade. I'm paraphrasing what he said, like you need to have focus when you're there with a patient and you can't make mistakes. And he said he was no longer capable of doing that. So he stopped seeing patients. A psychologist also teaches psychology. He said he can't do that anymore, that it's not morally defensible for him to teach. Like this is what he said. If he has a doctoral thesis student and, you know, like that guy or woman has to go out and get a job as a psychologist and say, who was your thesis advisor? What was Jordan Peterson? Peterson said his reputation is so toxic that uh, that person won't be able to get a job, which he blames, you know, on, on, on the woke mafia or whatever. But, you know, it wouldn't be a good thing for his students. So he bowed out of that. What is the practical implication or reason for him retaining the title of psychologist? I would suggest that it's just because it helps his brand. Like it helps him be Dr. Jordan Peterson's psychologist and expert. I don't know that anybody else is benefiting from him being a psychologist. You know, maybe he can't do both things. Maybe you can't talk about your opposition to plus size models uh, on the internet and, you know, stay in good standing with the uh, College of Psychologists. There's like an actual protest outside the office of the Ontario College of Psychologists by his defenders who feel like they are threatening all of our liberties. I know this is all about nothing, David. And I don't want to, I know that it's it's post-media and I know that it, I'm putting you in a difficult position, not asking you to opine about post-media, but we were talking earlier about like the relative severity and exposure and coverage that different topics get. And it seems like there's a whole lot of coverage in the media at large about Peterson, Peterson, Peterson. I would make this point. I bet you if I went over to my neighbor and said, what do you think of Jordan Peterson? He would say, Jordan who? I mean, in some respects, journalists, politicians, uh, commentators uh, operate in a bubble. And I would suggest go out and talk to your neighbors. It will be interesting to see some of the things that they reflect back to you. Because a lot of the battles and the uh, interactions and the controversy that we see playing out on social media and in, in, in some cases to uh, newspapers uh, on TV don't matter an iota to the average Canadian. Mention healthcare and finding a doctor or sitting in the emergency ward for 15 hours to be looked at, then you'll get a reaction. Um, and out here, for instance, in Victoria, there's a lot of people that don't have a, a family doctor. And there's a lot of people that don't even know who Jerry Butts is <laughs> so or Jordan Peterson. It's a good one for me to hear because it's like it's easy to get drawn into this. And, you know, the job of monitoring the media means that I, I kind of have to analyze and report on what everybody else decides to report on. And there's funny stuff and it's easy to get caught up in it. Like, you know, he released the whole decision from the Ontario College of Psychologists and he he tried to redact the names of the people who complained against him, but he, he botched it and, and revealed their home addresses and their names. So, you know, we, we reported on that. And then he retaliates and, you know, flames me on Twitter. And you, you can get into the back and forth. And, you know, and then like there's one of the pieces that ran in the post was like a defense of Peterson by Howard Levitt. 
There's no disclosure in that piece when it ran that Levitt is Peterson's lawyer. So, you know, (laughs) they've since corrected that since we pointed that out and reported on that. We can certainly get into it. And then before you know it, it's like this, I don't know, it's like a bun fight. I think it's important to remember, like most people could not care less. And these are things that often it's not just the media because, you know, Polyev picks it up. I think he feels like there's some currency. I think there is like definitely you can kind of strike a chord with people, a certain percentage of the population who feel sympathetic to this, like the woke mob is out of control and people will respond to that on an emotional level. And Peterson becomes some sort of a symbol of that. But it's gotten so abstracted. The only level to which this guy is interesting to me is at this point, it's almost as if you took somebody who suffered from like some kind of delusion that like invisible radioactive bees were plaguing him. And rather than getting help, the world made him a celebrity and was like, we have to help this guy fight the bees or they'll get us all. And watching somebody become a prisoner of their own, his thing about the woke mob, like it's, it's, I don't know what the proof is or the evidence that we're having forced speech, which is how he started, or his work is being censored. Like, like, I can't think of anybody whose work has been more widely disseminated in this case. Probably the most famous Canadian academic since Marshall McLuhan, maybe ever, you know? Yeah, I mean, I could see why a conservative leader is is interested in pushing this aspect. It appeals to a certain audience. And it's the same way that the uh, so-called freedom convoy appeals to a certain audience. But if you take a look, uh, I think, you know, overall, it is of limited importance to the average Canadian. Whatever happens to Jordan Peterson, as far as his professional licensing or, or, or whatever that they're taking a look at or what they want him to do, that has no impact on either you or me. Having said that, I think it's great that you take a look at the media and what's out there. And certainly there's a lot of benefit in, in that. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out because it's like, uh, it feels like dangerous to me. Like we're living in serious times and we're so distracted by bullshit. And, you know, it's it, you got to point out the bullshit, but at a certain point you're just sort of participating in it. And that's my New Year's resolution is to, I, I got to figure <laughs> out how to cover this stuff in a way that doesn't fuel it. But that's an ongoing project. But don't forget as well, more extreme views attract a certain type of people, right? So you can see it in, in my view anyway. I guarantee, for instance, okay, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I've got 10,000 followers and I just play it pretty straight, you know, tweeting out interesting things. But if I switched tomorrow and started talking about Prime Minister Turdo or, you know, talking like that, pushing out stuff like that, pushing out conspiracy theories, for instance, I guarantee my readership or my followers will triple overnight. And that type of thing is picked up by a certain segment of the population. David, that shortcuts for this week. Thank you for joining me for it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. I can be emailed about anything you heard on today's show. I'm at jesse at CanadaLand.com, and I read everything you send. David, where can people find you? Well, <laughs> I'm on Twitter, David Puglazi. You can find me at The Ottawa Citizen, and uh, my stories are there, and there's a direct email uh, to me as well. 
This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production by Tristan Capicione. Our production coordinator is Andre Pruhl. Theme music is by so-called syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. Listen, if you value this podcast, please support us. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism. As a supporter, you will get premium access to all of our shows ad-free, including early releases and bonus content. You'll also get our exclusive newsletter, discounts on our merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. More than anything, you will be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis, and you'll be keeping our work free and accessible for everybody. Come join us now. Click on the link in your show notes or just go to canadaland.com join. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.